0: This podcast is not meant to be professional advice of any kind. It is meant to be informative and entertaining. If you make any changes to your life, see the appropriate professional before you do so. Welcome to Super Age. My name is David Stewart. I am the founder of Aegis and your host on the Super Age Show. We talk about how to live healthier, how to live longer, and how to be happier. Who doesn't want that? Welcome to episode 119 of the Super Age Podcast. It is great to have you with us. This will be dropping on February the 1st, 2023. So, this morning here in the mountains of Utah, it was kind of shockingly cold. <laughs> I woke up, looked at my phone, and it was get this minus 17 degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> so, that's kind of chilly. Um, You know, being Utah though, uh, as soon as the sun comes up and you, even when it's like really cold, I think it warmed up to like, I don't know, like 10 or something, um, which is good, you know, (laughs) 27 degree improvement. Um, But, you know, you you warm up pretty quickly. And I was with uh, some of the other people that I'm doing my master's race program with. And, you know, most of us are, you know, a little older And what I was marveling at was, you know, it was cold, but it wasn't like that cold. We were all okay because of the sort of technologies that we were using out there that were just like not available when I was growing up. I mean, anything below like 20 degrees when I was growing up skiing would have just been like painful. Um, But this was fine. Like everybody had... You know, they had sh- shells and down and, you know, lots of Gore-Tex and, and stuff to keep themselves warm. And um I, hey, secret pro tip, boot heaters. Um, pretty much everybody, all the, the coaches, um, all the people in my program have boot heaters. They're like game changers. Um, and Remember, I don't know if any of you guys remember like going out, you know, in cold weather, maybe even like 10 years ago how your feet would turn into blocks of ice. Like you don't have to do that anymore. And I was thinking about how these technologies um, not only keep us warm, but even the skis. So I ski on dinosaur skis, because I think they're awesome. I think they're the, the best ones for me anyway. And how they're, you know, they're shaped and the sort of technology with skis these days, especially these skis, um, it just makes turning so much easier. It's just unbelievably different than the sort of equipment that I grew up on. Um, much easier to ski, much easier on the knees. Like, you know, there, I'm 64, I'm sort of average in my class here. And, you know, there are people in the late 70s who are just really good and were able to do this because of the technological advancements. So those Dynastar slalom skis that I use, the combination of the wood that they use and the metal and especially the shaping, I'm able to make turns at a rate that would just been incomprehensible to me, um, you know, 20 years ago. So, And I'm thinking, you know, skiing is sort of the thing that I'm doing right now. But if we think about, you know, bikes, so like think about the bike that you grew up with and a mountain bike today, or an e-bike today, or a road bike today. They're just these massive technological improvements that allow us to do these things. And yeah, we're in better shape. We take care of ourselves. We do a lot um, to work on our bodies. But all this gear is really key to us being able to do this. The tennis rackets, the golf clubs, like sort of everything you can think of. There have been all these technological improvements which allow people our age you know they're not specifically targeted at people our age but we're clever so we take advantage of it and we're able to do this whole range of activities that maybe we couldn't do back way back when because there just wasn't the the stuff to allow us to do this so I guess where I'm going with this is that if there's something out there that maybe you maybe you tried skiing when you were in high school and like it was really uncomfortable and didn't like it. Well, it's like a whole different ballgame now. Um, and same thing, maybe like uh, like bikes. Um, you thought that you know mountain biking was you know maybe not your gig, but it's like the 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 bike now is just like a completely different thing. So anyway, that's a plug for get outside and engage in some sports because. The equipment around it, everything from the clothing, the protective stuff, the gear itself, it's just vastly advanced. That It it makes all of us do things that, you know, maybe we could do in our 20s. We didn't think we could do now. We, We can. So on that topic, if you're out there, maybe you've taken a pickleball. It seems like everybody plays pickleball these days. You know, you're out there and you're active and you're going to be losing electrolytes. You're going to be losing sodium and you're going to be losing water. And last week on the show, we had Rob Wolf on, who is the founder of Element, one of the sponsors of this program. And I wanted to have him on to discuss really this, uh, you know, sodium and electrolytes. One of the great findings I had last year was the impact of not having enough, like losing electrolytes. And the way you replace them is really simple. You put element in water and you drink it. And hopefully you you have that before you're doing some sort of exercise. And then, you know, I have it afterwards, too, to help replace. Because especially if I'm up on the mountain, I'm out there for like four hours. So it's difficult for me to get access to hydration. So I'll try and hydrate beforehand. And then I'll have some right afterwards. I'll tell you, if I don't have element in my water... What happens is I start to feel a little dizzy, um, I, my brain is foggy, my muscles feel just sort of achy and crampy, and then it just takes like, it's sort of a miracle, like five minutes after I drink Element, everything feels fine. And I realized that so much of the problems I was having in the past were not about me being old, it was just like I wasn't getting the right electrolytes. If you go to drinkelement.com, that's D R I N K. L-M-N-T dot com slash aegis and you get a free eight-serving sample pack with any purchase. One of the other products that I've been using that has had a real impact is from Timeline Nutrition. It's called MitoPure. It's a Urolithin-A product. If you don't know what Urolithin-A does, just Google it. Um, there's hundreds and hundreds of studies out there about the impact of Urolithin-A, it's, you know, you can get it from pomegranate juice, but you've got to drink a lot of pomegranate juice and only 40% of Americans have the right biome that they can actually convert the pomegranate juice to urolithin A. And as you get older, that number goes way down. I've been using it. I really noticed the difference in my muscles ability to recover. My friend Gary, my friend Gary, the spin enthusiast, same deal. Dr. Zimmer, who's on our scientific advisory board, sent me a text on Monday saying that after she had read a number of the scientific studies on urolithin A and MitoPure, she's ordering for herself and her husband. If you go to TimelineNutrition.com slash Agist, you'll save 10% off your first order of MitoPure. This week on the show, we are honored to have Dennis Noble. Dennis is with the Oxford Center for Longevity. Dennis is a super, super interesting guy. We profiled him in Aegis a few weeks ago, and I, in talking to him, I said, listen, I want you to come on and let's talk about longevity and science and why you're interested in this. Um, he's just a remarkable human being. I believe he is the guy who developed the mathematical model of the heart, back in the 60s so he knows a lot about cardiovascular physiology and he's been studying longevity longevity science for probably the last maybe 20 years and he has a lot of very interesting things to say about that and really a lot of other things i i don't use the word genius too often um dennis is one of those guys and before we start i want to remind everybody after our conversation with Dennis, we have our Try This episode, which is just like a little nugget of something you can try this week to improve your life and hopefully have you living longer and living healthier. So let's give Dennis a shout. Hi, Dennis. How are you today?
1: Um, well, remarkably well, given what we've been through recently, which is after all three years of a pandemic and really quite an extraordinary period of life here in the united kingdom with governments collapsing here right center anyway no i'm i'm in good form um so let's go ahead and see what you want to talk about absolutely so first um
0: let's tell everybody a little bit about you and your background
1: yes well my name is obviously dennis noble unusually it's spelt dennis with just one n but that's the correct way of doing it. You know, it comes from Dionysos, who was the Greek god of uh, wine. Well, that's nice to know, isn't it? And, and he had only one N. Anyway, very, ra- very rarely I- I've got one N in my name, Dennis Noble. I've I've been a professor at Oxford University for many years, although I studied at the University College in London, and, um, And for many years, I was the professor of cardiovascular physiology here. So concerned with a lot of matters to do with aging, um, health in later later life, and particularly in relation, obviously, to the heart and circulation. I'm going to take a glass of water. Absolutely. Otherwise, I might just have... Difficulty controlling the long tail of long COVID, which was long, long ago that I had COVID. But this tail is sometimes giving me little problems here. Anyway, let's go back to my own background. I was the first person to build a mathematical model to show how the heart's pacemaker works. That's what created my reputation as a a physiologist. And then I went on to many aspects of heart physiology, and particularly what is it that causes heart attack and heart arrhythmia, the, the things that people worry about in older age, although it can also happen in young people, but particularly in older people, the problems of arteries clogging up, of the heart not getting enough oxygen to it and the arrhythmias that that produces. And sometimes, of course, those can be the fatal arrhythmias of uh, ventricular fibrillation and similar processes. So that's my original background. But in the last 20 years or so, During retirement, I'm supposed to be retired, but that, I'm afraid, hasn't worked as a a strategy. I work probably more than I did when I was in post. Anyway, for the last 20 years, I've been concerned with a rather wider group of medical problems, and that is, naturally enough, I'm 86 after all, um, what are the problems of ageing? And what should we try to do about it? And there are several ways in which you can think about this. Some people think that it's just so inevitable that you can't do anything about it. I don't hold that view because that itself is not a viable solution to the problem. Because if we go on as we are with the developed nations, the richest nations in the world, and those following on from us, the developing nations coming to the same kind of situation, we will find that we have an aging population, many of whom are not well, many of whom do need care, being supported by a relatively smaller group of working population. And that's not a viable solution in the long term. It is therefore, I think, um, well, yes, there are many things still to do on the heart. And there are other people doing that uh, probably much better than I did when I was in post. But, you know, that's a small issue compared, big issue as it is, it's a small issue compared to what I'm now talking about. As you get into long life but very unhealthy life you're having a big burden on society i'm not blaming people i'm saying that this is what we're now seeing and i think we have to do something about it and i don't think we should accept that there is nothing you can do about it you've just got to grin and bear it so there are my credentials it's the reason that i helped to found what we call the Oxford Longevity Project just two or three years ago. We are not a, a research organization. We are not, um, as it were, necessarily providing the research solutions. What we are doing is broadcasting to a mix of people who are interested in longevity and health span um, about what we identify as some of the major. Discoveries that are occurring, and then we try to make it understandable to lay people. That's the idea. So, usually, there's a fundamental scientist uh, telling us about the latest studies on autophagy or whatever technical issue it might be. And then we have somebody, a clinician uh, or someone else, able to interpret that for the common man in the street. And we think this is a very valuable way of communicating the need for society to do something about this. So there are my credentials and how I've got involved in the whole issue of healthy aging rather than uh, unhealthy aging.
0: It, it seems to me that the, you know, as we mentioned before we get on the podcast, The the solution to the economic problem is, well, I don't want to say simple because it's complicated, but just yeah. to... Increase health span,
1: oh, um, are you just just doing that. Right. No, exactly. So, and what we did in our first broadcast was to involve economists in telling us just what the costs of doing nothing would be. It is utterly shocking. You know, we've had a pandemic for three years now. The cost of that is felt by nearly all societies around the world, and it's big. But I tell you, the cost of doing nothing about the ageing problem is even bigger by many fold. And that's what Andrew Scott and other economists have calculated. You just do the projections and you you see what will be the health costs or the health care costs, I should say, um, from those projections. It is unsustainable. I don't know any politicians around the world who have seriously understood how big this problem is and how urgent it is to try to tackle it now rather than when it grows in importance. That's what I'm devoted to at the moment.
0: Wonderful. So let's talk about how we're going to do this.
1: Uh um, well, Okay, I I can tell you my own view on this, I think, really quite quickly. What we've done in the last 30 years, roughly, since the launching of the Human Genome Project as a project first and then as a very highly successful project. uh, Please understand I'm not criticising the scientists who have sequenced the genome. They've done a magnificent job and they succeeded. And they succeeded first in around the year 2000, so just over 20 years ago. Now, as a scientific project, that has been extremely helpful. It enables evolutionary biologists to much more accurately work out the trees of interrelation between the species. And so that is great. And so also, if... As a family member, you want to work out whether you are related to X over there uh, by some uh, process of working out from genomes. You can go to 23andMe or any other company that will uh, do this for you, sequence your genome, and then give you some hints as to who else you might be related to. So from the viewpoint of the genomes acting as markers, of who belongs to what part of what tree of life, it's fantastic. No question about that. However, what the leaders of the project proclaimed in the 1990s, so 30 years ago now, was that once we have sequenced the human genome, we will find that within 10 years we've got cures for cancer, cures for schizophrenia, cures for depression, cures for heart disease cures for pancreatic disease i go on and it's the whole gamut of the various diseases that are the cause of great problems in old age and which restrict health span to being much less than lifespan and there's the problem it's that difference which can be 8 10 15 20 years of intensive care now Again, I'm not criticizing those who actually did the work to sequence the genomes. I think, though, the project was oversold in terms of its clinical value. We have not seen the cures for cancer. We have not seen the cures for cardiac disease. We have not seen the cures for depression and so on. Yes, there are hints, ideas, but we're now 20 three years on from the first full sequencing of the human genome. Moreover, my own work shows why that is true. You see what and a bit technical for a moment, mm-hmm. what the genome wide association studies do is to measure, first of all, from your full sequencing, which variations of each gene you've got. And then they will look at the various disease states that people with those particular genes have suffered. You will get then an estimate of if you've got this gene, by how much above the random change in the population will you be likely to experience that particular disease? Well, now, the most interesting thing is this. There are a few genetic diseases, well-known genetic diseases, where the association is quite high. If you have something like cystic fibrosis, for example, there's a very straight correlation between the gene involved in cystic fibrosis and getting the disease. But for the great majority of the gene variants that are associated with the diseases of old age, apart from those very clearly, but rare genetic diseases, the association levels are quite small. In fact, the prediction will be that there might be one or two or three or 4% higher chance of getting a disease. This is not the 50%. This is not something that really would cause most people to take uh, uh, really serious preventive uh, measures. Now, why is that? 30 years ago, my group showed why association levels between a particular gene and the observed effects in the organism can be quite small, even when the gene is very important. And we did that with the genes that are responsible for cardiac rhythm. You can take a particular gene or the protein, of course, that is made by using that gene, it will contribute maybe 80% of the electric current that generates your heartbeat and mine. You block it um, and remove, therefore, the protein or the action of the protein involved, or remove the gene, doesn't matter which way you do it. And what you find is only a very modest change in frequency. In fact, that is the basis of producing, as uh, a French company did, a very valuable cardiac slower it just slows by about 10 percent not 80 percent now why is that well the reason is very obvious as physiologists we know too well what is happening the networks that control processes like that highly important processes in the body are multiply backed up there is redundancy just as when you fly on an aircraft the pilot will have access to a backup programme if for any reason the control programme for the aircraft goes wrong. And that's what you'd expect. So what's happening is that for the vast majority of uh, diseases that are causing the headache of ageing populations, the association levels between a particular gene and that problem are very small. Now, That has developed to the point where many scientists now think you've got to think of an omnigenic hypothesis. That is that nearly all genes are involved in one way or another in all processes in the body. In which case, there really isn't a gene for this and a gene for that. Um, It's more that the body uses the whole panoply of genes to create what it needs to continue to function. And it can do that even with major ones missing. So hard though it is to say, I think we have unfortunately poured the resources, the huge funding into the wrong answer to the aging population. The aging population suffers from these multifactorial diseases with many genes involved and that will not yield to just more sequencing of people's well, genomes. I, I also
0: yeah I I, I also I um, think here um, that so many of the diseases some you know there's certain things that just sort of happen with age but yeah. I would say that our behavior, How we're signaling these genes? What are we doing? Which is actually under our control. Like nobody puts anything in our mouth. We do it. We do it ourselves, right? So that's where so much you know influence we have. Absolutely
1: right. Uh, I agree. And you see, I think what we've got to remember is what we've learned, for example, from looking at identical twins, one of whom becomes an athlete and the other does not. And you find that the one who becomes an athlete not only develops stronger muscles, that's expected, but it influences even the little molecules called RNAs that regulate the genome. So it all trickles down. There is absolutely no doubt that the biggest thing you can do to remain healthy in old age is to keep active, (laughs) even if it's difficult. It's best to keep active. You use it or you lose it. But that's not just a matter of whether your muscles are strong or not. It's that too, and whether you can climb the stairs or not, and so on and so forth. It is also that the other health benefits, in addition to improving your skeletal and muscular system, those benefits are general. There's the... (coughs) Sorry. There's the real reason why that particular lifestyle issue, and it's not the only one, I can spend time talking about others too, Uh, that particular lifestyle issue is probably the number one, I would think, in terms of maintaining good health, keep going, keep doing things. Um, Even if it's only, you know, moving around a dance floor, or even it's only joining a singing club. Singing is a fantastic way of getting control over you and feeling good. And why do you feel good with all of these activities? You feel good because it's it's filtering down, just like, uh, as I said earlier on, with the experiments on identical twins, the one that really exercises and gets going has an improvement in all respects it's not just in their muscular system so there's number one uh, keep going keep exercising uh, but I as you know there are many others <laughs>
0: I you know looking at you Dennis I what comes to my mind is um joy is an epigenetic signal
1: <laughs> oh absolutely I'll <Well, laughs> right. tell you another thing um i I've actually researched the Evidence which is quite serious, that there is a connection uh, between the way in which one conducts oneself in relation to joy and particularly um, the joy of uh, sexual relations, for example, it actually is itself a longevity factor. Now, what uh, some people have done in relation to that is to, ask seriously the question, what is actually going on there? If there is really some kind of relationship between the way in which you conduct your love life and longevity, what is the origin of that? And that results in discovering that there are um, chemicals in the sperm that are highly related to processes that maintain good health in old age. One of those, very naturally, because it's found in sperm, is called spermidine, but it's also found elsewhere in the body. It's it's a natural compound, um, and y- you can get it. It's not too difficult to find spermidine on the internet and be able to order it. And it's been shown to control the process of autophagy. And perhaps I should explain briefly just what that is you see the reason why people's skin becomes a bit crinkled the reason why um, you look rather less well in older age if you don't look after yourself is largely because a lot of tissue survives that really ought to be removed the body is continually removing cells that are no longer functioning well. That's a function of the immune system, which has cells specifically designed to tell particular um, unwell cells, if you like, is please, in the interest of the rest of the body, just die. Now, there is a process. (laughs) It's called apoptosis. That's just a technical name. But it is a process by which the body... Can tell certain cells to die. The immune system does that all the time. It tells cells that don't produce the immunoglobulin that will capture the virus that's attacked you that you're no good. Just, 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 you know, go away <laughs> and, and you're no longer going to be alive. Now, the important point is that that process weakens in old age. It is therefore valuable to be able to stimulate it. to restore some of the autophagy. Some of the people the um, Oxford Longevity Project interacts with are very famous for what they've done in this area. Um, There are scientists in Japan that we interact with, for example, at the University in Osaka, one of the biggest universities in Japan, which that department, it happens to be the Department of Pharmacology there, uh, actually won the Nobel Prize in physiology and medicine uh, just uh, recently, a few years ago, um, for understanding the cellular processes by which autophagy occurs. So there's already uh, a process which can be augmented because we've now, through understanding uh, possible ways in which people can prolong their productive life, um, that there may be chemicals that underlie that. So that's one possible approach. But there's really quite a number of other chemicals that are known now to be worth exploring. In many ways, too, you can control a lot of that just by what you eat because these are not chemicals that have to be provided, you know, specially by a pharmaceutical company. In many cases, you'll find them. Um, one that I took recently, for example, when I was trying to deal with the physiology and, and pathology of suffering from long COVID, which is a breathing difficulty. And obviously, I did the one thing you'd expect a physiologist to do, which is to breathe steam that's got some salt in it. It's very simple. You can get nebulizers on the internet very easily. And it it does wonders for that kind of Uh, disease of old age, where you become asthmatic, you you just say, I can't walk 10 yards before I'm out of breath. Well, if that's what you're finding, then do try this. What I did in addition to that was that I actually added a supplement of a compound called quercetin. Now you'll find that in raspberries, you'll find it in blackberries, you'll find it in all kinds of red fruits. So you could do the same just by eating a lot of those. And that's why, of course, People who talk about healthy diets naturally advise some of the plants that are well known to provide uh, that benefit. So I've already talked, therefore, about two of the compounds that are important in helping us to stay healthy. Spermidine, quercetin as good examples. But I've got a few on this, which I think needs to go a bit further than just the one or two chemicals that I've mentioned so far. You see, we have evolved together with the plant world. Our origins of multicellular organisms like us and dogs and rabbits and so on, that goes back about 500 million years. And it's during the majority of that time that the plants have also been developing. And there's an extraordinary relationship between the um, plants and the animals that use the plants. It's not that the plants are just there and that we're just here. It is that our being where we are depends on the interrelation with them. Just imagine this. Why are the bees going around to get the nectar from all of those flowers to, of course, put and produce the lovely honey that comes from a honeycomb. Well, they're actually doing it in the plant's own interest because the plant relies on the bees to fertilize and to carry um, the uh, plant's uh, activity, out to other parts and to spread, and that's the way plants spread. They can't do so by walking like you and us can. Um, it, it, they they have to do it by relying on animals. In effect, um, not just bees, but many other insects, and indeed we ourselves. We often just by brushing against the flowers will inevitably carry some of their germ cells uh, through to other parts and so spread the activity animals that bury nuts do exactly the same too now what i'm coming to is this therefore the plants have evolved to make it attractive to eat them and this may surprise you A lettuce actually likes some of it to be eaten now you might think that's crazy The lettuce likes being destroyed because we eat it. Well, you don't need to destroy it. You just take some of the leaves. Um, Three or four years ago, when I was taking part in a documentary filming in uh, Korea, in South Korea, I was acting almost like a Buddhist monk. I was going around some of the uh, temples in South Korea. This was back in 2019. One of the people I met there was a very famous nun. Actually, in Korea, they call them the same thing. They both are called monks, whether they're male or female, it doesn't matter. Uh, I rather like that, incidentally. So, John Kwan, who is the uh, nun that I met, is very famous as a cook. She actually appeared on Chef's Table in New York because of her fantastic ability to cook vegetarian dishes that taste really delicious. So don't think that um, going vegetarian doesn't or means in some sense or another you're going to be missing out on some of the great delicacies. Um she showed, as have many other vegetarian cooks, of course, um, how good it can be. But you see, what I remember is this: I walked with her and one or two others to the forest where she keeps her garden, and she showed us how you take the leaves from the plants while leaving the plant still active it was a very clever and and gentle technique and once you know it it means you don't just pull the whole lettuce up you just let it continue to grow and you go back a week later and there are more leaves and you take now the point I'm making is that plants as it were know that and over the millions of years they have, developed the kinds of things that are attractive to us that's why it's nice to eat them but that's in their interest as i proposed uh, a bit earlier so this leads me to another point which is that modern medicine often dismisses herbal remedies as somehow or another strange they're not well researched from the point of view of the science well that's no longer true many of them have been well researched but let me tell you something about half of the pharmacopoeia in the united states and here in the united kingdom and other countries the pharmacopoeia is of course the listing of all the drugs that are available for doctors to prescribe nearly half of those originally came from plants of course, often now we make the same chemicals, but they were originally produced from plants. Very good example from my own area of the heart. The foxglove was found 200 or so years ago to be very effective at treating certain forms of heart disease. The point I'm making is there's a very big resource here. And I think one of the urgent tasks for medical science is to systematize that knowledge and its interpretation in terms of modern science more than we have done. I think, therefore, that research scientists can do a lot to contribute to how we can create longer health span um, and hopefully not have such a long period uh, of illness in old age. So I think there are many things that can be done and which we should uh, be looking to doing and a lot of them are not very expensive. that's the good thing about it doesn't cost much to go and walk in a forest doesn't cost much to go on a dance floor. I can tell you because I do both <laughs> um
0: so you have me thinking about um plants and things from nature so what the the first one that comes to mind are the Rapologs. so rapamycin and yes and that those do do you
1: have any thoughts on those? Um, well I I know something of the story of rapamycin unfortunately it does it seems not to be as effective as we would have liked um so I'm not too sure about the future of that in relation to these questions but there are now well established um books and uh Treatments of the question which are the chemicals that satisfy a series of criteria? Do they promote autophagy? Uh, Do they help the bodies fight against cancer? Do they do X, Y, and Z? It gets technical once you get into that. But there are now quite a lot of sites, websites where you can find out that kind of information. There are even suggestions of complete programs of trying to use plant or similar products um to uh improve healthy long life
0: um i had uh near mars on the show about a year ago and right. Nir is. Near, near is a great proponent of metformin. Do you have any thoughts on
1: that? Actually I don't know that so uh, I'm sorry about that. I'll have to pass on some things because you know the problem for any medical scientist is the range of stuff that is available is vast. Uh, I um won't won't unfortunately be able to make a big comment on that. Um well let, let's go back to your your specialty
0: which is yes. cardiovascular physiology. Yes. Um what are the markers so you know there's LDL, HDL, ApoB. SDL. Um what are you looking at there and what do you like to see? Um
1: what what of course causes the major um diseases of old age of a cardiovascular nature? Um one is, well, a very high one, is hardening of arteries. And this is thought, of course, to be the plaques of cholesterol and similar products that build up uh, in the arteries. And what that does is to make them less expandable. So when you exercise and you need a lot of blood to go through to the heart, it won't flow through as easily easily. As you would like. Those who are listening to this broadcast that have had what are called stents will know that what the surgeon does when he inserts a stent is to, as you were, know, force the artery to become wider and to let more blood go through. But that is a kind of um, intervention to see to the problem after it's arisen. But there's a lot one can do in relation to getting the cholesterol and similar um, ratios um, uh, reasonably well controlled. And the best advice I can give people there is to go to your medical practitioner and ask for the nurses that are well versed in that kind of treatment and get blood tested to see what your various cholesterol levels are and take the advice and what to do if it looks as though you ought to be a bit more cautious it might just be a matter of eating less ice cream <laughs> now that may disappoint you uh, but I tell you I occasionally have an ice cream as a as a as a special dessert in in a big dinner uh, but I have never regretted giving up using it every day
0: um no and I my my recollection Dennis is that the diseases associated with cardiovascular, I'll call it dysfunction, are yes. the, the number one cause of death.
1: They are, in effect. Yes, that's right. I mean, surprising it might be. You might think it would be cancer, but actually, when you add up all the various cardiovascular diseases, um, and, and the top of that is certainly blood circulation, because once the blood circulation does not go well then you're on to a downward spiral because the heart particularly is a great consumer of energy and the the biggest cause of arrhythmia is of course itself produced by a lack of oxygen uh, getting to the heart so that's easily one of the number one factors to look out for it's easy to do you go to your gp you ask for a blood test They will tell you the various levels of the things that matter, and they'll give you advice on what to do diet-wise, and it it doesn't cost much to do that.
0: Uh, Yeah, I'm one of those people who um, I like a lot of measurements, and frequently.
1: (laughs) You you look very energetic yourself. (laughs) Well,
0: my intention is to keep it that way. Absolutely (laughs) so, yes. I I just went, like, I had to ask... um, my GP, I, he, I said, "Well, let's do a calcium CT scan of my art. And he's like, "Well, we did yes. that three years ago." And I said, "Well, that was three years ago. <laughs> let's see, you know, what's the delta? Are things changing?" And yes. I, and I, and I, yes. you know, and I said, "Let's let's compare." I I did a for the first time, I did a cardioid um, ultrasound yes. to just see like, well, is there anything happening there? And um, you know, I'm fine. But um, I my intention is to keep it fine and, yes, indeed. and to stay yes. on top right. of this yeah
1: yes now we've dealt with number one in one sense but but, but shortly uh help in that um uh, uh, panoply of the real dangers is cancer of course mm-hmm. and you won't be surprised that i've been looking into that question as well um We've actually not really succeeded in what is called the war on cancer. That was, as some older people in your listeners would remember, was launched by President Nixon uh, around 50 years ago. When it comes to now early stage cancer, we're getting very good at dealing with. and That's a great success, no doubt. But when it comes to what we call late stage. When what is called metastasis occurs, our success rate is very low. What typically happens with the uh, late stage, where the cancer has begun to spread throughout the body, is that the options available like surgery, for example, become difficult or impossible because it's spread to into too many tissues. you can't cut out everything after all, there's then nothing left. so there won't be much of you left if you try um, uh, surgery on something that is metastasized too much. If it hasn't done so, people tend to use radiotherapy to try to zap the um the developing, Uh, Cancer, Um, But if it has already spread a lot, then the option is chemotherapy, which means, in effect, attacking the cancerous tissue itself. Now, you can think of the cancerous tissue as a part of the organism that has become detached from the organism's own interests. It's got its own interests, which is like an organism within the organism. It's a strange way of thinking about it, but if you think about it in that way, you'll understand what I'm going to say now. If you attack organisms, any organism, with something that zaps it, like antibiotics to attack bacteria um, or insecticides to attack insects, it won't surprise you that the organisms react by changing their genomes. Now, you may find that difficult to accept. If you're a standard evolutionary biologist, you will say, come on, Dennis, that's impossible. It doesn't happen. Uh, Forget about it. Well, we know it does. If you attack a cancerous tissue with chemotherapy or radiotherapy, you actually provoke it to change its genome. And the process by which that happens is well-known. It's well-known through what we know about the immune system. The immune system works by capturing a new virus or a new new bacterium by virtue of the fact that it can make new proteins that fit and are able to grab the new virus, coronavirus, for example. Um, How does it do that? Well, it actually changes the genome in the cells of the immune system. That's how it is done. Now, I'm saying that that is a general problem. And when you attack, as a doctor will, with chemotherapy or radiotherapy, a late-stage cancer, you may hopefully kill it off enough for a permanent cure. But that's unfortunately rarer than we once imagined it would be very often what happens is it produces a period of several years which is good when the cancer has as it were retreated but it will then come back in an even more virulent form and unfortunately and sadly this is what frequently happens and it's the reason why we've not made as much progress with treatment of late stage cancer as we would like now again there are helpful clues in lifestyle. There are compounds that feel and are um, good against possible cancerous developments. Some of the spices, for example, are well known to do, to do this. Curcumin, which is found in curry spices, for example, um, well known to be a good uh, anti-cancer agent. So. Once again, to the degree you can do it, a healthy lifestyle in terms of diet is um, a good thing to go for. It's obvious also to your listeners that uh, smoking is a (laughs) no-no if you really want to look after yourself in old age. Um, Oh, yes, there are smokers who live to be very old. That happens. Um, Of course, it's a statistical issue. But if you really want to... um, improve your chances of of living a long, healthy life, then that also is a factor. So lifestyle factors, again, turn out to be some of the simplest ways of dealing with things. So when I said earlier on that the problem with the multifactorial diseases that old age tends to highlight is that we can't find simple, this one protein, this one gene, you intervene with that and you've got the solution. Um, That doesn't mean that there are many things that we can already do, and many of those are actually not very expensive. So one of the solutions to the big economic problem that I highlighted earlier on, which is the sheer cost of the healthcare in an aging population is just to remain as healthy as you can in that you're contributing to society generally not only to your own health which is a good thing to do and much more um, interesting in old age if you can remain active um, but also contributing to helping society as a whole to deal with what is actually a looming problem of immense proportions so I don't think we should sit back and think there's nothing we can do about it all. We can do a lot um, in terms of um, helping ourselves. Now, I wanted to go on to a slightly different angle on this, which I've hinted at already. It is this, that I think we need to do more research on the better of the herbal remedies that have been around for a long time because if we could validate those more effectively with modern research techniques we would automatically find that we've got multi-component treatments for multifactorial problems and if you think about it it makes sense if you've got many things that cause a particular problem you need to have a multi-component treatment for it now you may be surprised by that but i'll tell you a little story or i can recommend you to find out what i'm saying is true go into any general ward in a hospital at the time when the nurse is going around with the prescriptions she will go around with a number of dishes on her trolley for patient x patient y patient z Look at the number of chemicals that are there. six, seven, eight, nine, ten. That's the situation in most general wards of most hospitals dealing with aged populations. So we are already using multi-component treatment. Now, I'm not talking without acting. I have done research on herbal remedies to find out in the case of the various ones I've worked on, how they work. It can be done. It needs very clever thinking because it requires an integrative way of thinking rather than a reductive way of thinking. Mm. You're not looking for just one gene or just one chemical that will do the trick. There isn't a magic trick for dealing with that kind of medical problem. What you need to do is to see what's the profile of that particular problem and which of the various herbal remedies has that kind of profile. It could be done if the money was put in to do it. I spent about five years um, until around 2018 investigating such a remedy, and we managed in the course of that five years to come to a very good explanation for why that particular remedy works.
0: Can I ask you what that was, Dennis?
1: Sorry, what was the remedy you were? Oh, the, the remedy. I'll give you its name, uh, but none of you will know it. It's shakuyaku Kanzato, which <laughs> <laughs> I will explain it a little bit better. You can find information on it on my website. If you go to systems biology on my website. No, what it is, actually, is a remedy that's been known for around 2,000 years. It's based on two roots, the peony, most people know about peonies in their gardens, and licorice, and most people know about licorice because children like licorice sweets. Now, you put those two together, you get a remedy for severe muscle cramp. And people in the countries that use these kinds of remedies, like Japan, Korea and China use this all the time to deal with cramp. A good athlete in Japan will automatically carry, I'll call it SKT rather than (laughs) shakuyaku Kansadom. Anyway, many of them carry SKT in the back pocket in order to treat themselves. The point I'm making is we came to a really clear explanation for how it may work. It largely works, incidentally, by improving the circulation in the cramped muscle. That's how we believe it works. Now, go to ask any major newspaper, what do you do about muscle cramp? They've nearly all got, you know, um, occasional articles on medical science. Well, the Times had one like this about five years ago. I still got the headline, you see. What do you do about cramp? Well, what do you do about cramp is, first of all, take vinegar. Now, I have no idea how that idea came about, but it does you no damn good at all, I can tell you. <laughs> and vinegar doesn't taste very nice unless you're make, uh, using it together with fries. So number one, absolutely no good at all. Um, the second was avoid the cramp in the first place. Don't do the exercise. Follow <laughs> yes, me. Advice, you know. Not,
0: I love the times.
1: I mean, you, you give the advice don't get the cramp in the first place. Well, you know, we can say that about all diseases don't get it. Well, yes, I mean, don't get it is a, a good piece of advice, except nobody knows how to deal with that. Third, eat bananas. Now, that's very interesting. It's the only advice that any grain of truth in it. Now, what I'm leading up to, before I come back to bananas, and before you think that I've gone bananas, um, the grain of truth there is interesting because it has to do with a particular um, element, potassium. Mm -hmm. Bananas have a high amount of potassium. And what we find when we did the research on the mechanism of muscle cramp Potassium plays a key role. It would be too technical for me to go into the details of how that is the case, but it does. Now, we then could calculate, you see, we were talking about the level of potassium outside the cells of the body. So in the bloodstream, the lymph and similar parts of the body. What does it do in cramp? It goes up about threefold from around four. Don't give the technical detail to 12. So it's quite a big increase. How many bananas would you have to eat quickly, because the cramp is urgent, to get to that level? I calculated it 300 bananas in 10 seconds. (laughs) I do not know anybody who is athletic enough or capable with their digestive system to anywhere near do that. And I tell you also, it would be highly dangerous if you did <laughs> because I can also tell you that that would cause a heart attack. So what I'm coming up to is very interesting, you see. There is actually no Western medication, meaning one developed by a pharmaceutical company, for that problem. The one thing that is known, at least a lot of the time, to work is actually an oriental medication. It's not available over in the West. (laughs) Um, It may be that my research on it may help to make it available sometime. I don't know. But the fact is there are ways, I think, in which for relatively small investments compared to the investments in uh, large-scale genomic research, I think for fairly small investments we could be targeting quite a number of diseases with multifactorial solutions to multifactorial problems. Now, I don't know whether the word multifactorial um, worries some of your listeners. All I mean is that there are many causes. There are many factors. That's why I call multifactorial. multifactorial. There's just many factors involved. And nearly all the diseases of old age are just like that.
0: Well, and I think... Um... One of the things that occurs to me when we're speaking about this is um, not just the sort of um, plant based herbal things that we can take or the other pharmaceuticals, but uh, to me, you know, I I was a photographer for a long time and I worked for a lot of big companies and I I would work for pretty much anybody. I would even work for the tobacco companies. It's fine because there's like a label on there. If you're going to smoke, you know what's going to happen to you. The one company I would not work for was. McDonald's, because those like forty ounce big gulp Mountain Dew things, like (laughs) that. If you want to talk about multifactorial, it's just like why don't you you know just go drink like Drano or something. You're it's just insane. What that if we're talking about cardiac problems and diseases of old age, inflammation, cancer, all that. I I mean if I if I were king of the world. I would just ban all that stuff. Uh, yes, a terrible... there, is a,
1: there is a problem, isn't there? The, the fast food um, food market, as it were, has become highly dominant in our lifestyle because people like to, as it were, get food on the run. Well, I, I tell you, I love France. Now, why should that be of importance to you? The French know how to relax over meals. Now, it doesn't mean to say you won't find McDonald's in France, you will (laughs) in places, (laughs) but there is still that attitude towards um, having a meal, which is you Mm. relax over it. Now, that is actually good advice because your digestive system needs time. Uh, You know, you can't, as you will all know, you can't go and run a marathon on a big, full stomach. And there's a good reason for that. The blood supply during digestion is attracted to the intestines. They need it. They need the blood supply in order to do the work that is necessary to digest the food that you've eaten. There's a good reason for taking time. And so I've I've seen both types, as it were, of society. Ones where um, having a relaxed lunch is taken for granted. And France certainly has been like that for the majority of my career when I've spent a lot of time there. Um, I, I admit also that you will find the fast food outlets as well. I'm not saying they don't exist. But there is still a culture of taking time. And I think it's the better way to deal with eating generally. Sure, there are occasions when you're stuck in an airport and the only thing you can possibly do is to buy um, a beef burger or whatever it might be, or a bean burger or whatever it is. Um, But generally, we really do have to find ways of, I think, getting people to understand that that's the unusual situation. It shouldn't be the normal one. There is, as I said, a good physiological reason, health reason for taking time over eating and food. And, you know, it's why it's much more enjoyable doing it with a dinner party than it is on your own. You know, part of it. And that's another thing. Being on your own is not a very good idea if you can possibly avoid being on your own. Um. Another thing that came across to me very clearly in that uh, trip that I had in South Korea in 2019 was a great advice from a monk who was formerly an agricultural worker he trained himself and learnt in through becoming a monk and his advice when i asked him for very simple advice for people was you can't be happy alone. Why do we enjoy theater? Why do we enjoy a good laugh? Why do we enjoy the excitement of a fantastic piece of music? Comes back to joy. Mm-hmm. What does joy do? Goodness, does it cause all kinds of chemicals in the body? They're, they're, they're the chemicals that enable us to have that experience of joy, to feel as it were, on top of the world. So it's very important to try to arrange your life so that you're not alone. You do interrelate with people. And that's, again, a huge health benefit, mm-hmm. to be with people and find ways in which you can communicate with others.
0: I I think that, you know, there's the all the Blue Zone stuff, and they talk about... Oh, it's the purple potatoes. It's the this. It's the that. No, it's not. <laughs> what we have is we have societies who exactly. uh, they're, they 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 understand how to live well, um, right? And yeah. and and they put an emphasis on this. And it's true, you know, if you live in Okinawa, your your biome is probably you know optimized to eat purple potatoes. I don't know if mine is. Or not. <laughs> who knows? But what we do know is that. That's what I see from all these. It's people, it's groups of people who live in community. They, and they just, like we all, we sort of in the, somewhere in the back of our lizard brains, Dennis, like we all know how to live well. And we just sort of try and block it out. But uh, that's, I think that's like 90% of this.
1: Yes, exactly. And it's up, it's up to us to, and our friends and relations to help us. In all of that, and when we come to uh, the question of old age and people being put in old people's homes, as they call them here in the United Kingdom, care homes, or whatever you want to call them, sure, there are some that work very well, that create a society and encourage people to interact, but often. I'm sorry to say, from the experience I've had, um it's sad, and people are left alone. It's as though families have felt well, old Auntie X has been parked, <laughs> you see in the um the old person's home, and of course, slowly she doesn't find it easy um slowly goes downhill. You're not on top of things anymore um I don't want to be gloomy about this, but I think being thinking it through, thinking how you can help those in your family that are unfortunate with what happens to them when they get older is a very good thing to do, even if it's only making sure there's a nice visit for an afternoon or an evening to really give good contact. The biggest question that people will tend to raise in relation to life in old people's homes, in care homes, is, when am I going to see somebody I know? Mm-hmm. Well, of course, they can see the people around them that are also <laughs> often therefore you know, have been parked, if I can put it that way, um, there because uh, their families can no longer manage to cope with them. We need to think this through There needs to be a kinder society is, I think, the way I'm expressing it. And like that um, insightful monk in Korea, nobody can be happy alone. I think it's a very general message. It doesn't have to be uh, a Buddhist teaching. It can be the teaching of anybody who has any experience of how people relate to each other. We are designed effectively to be sociable people. And that's another advice I'd like to give to families. Think about how you will make sure that people who grow old in your communities can be made to feel part of the community, even if they can no longer be cared for at home. I've been through this, incidentally. I I had a long period of uh, caring for a very close relative, and I know what it it takes. It takes a lot to manage it effectively, but my goodness, does it matter? People need contact.
0: Yeah, I think that you know, going back to those places that I've been in, um, you know, places like I, I was in Majorca a couple of years ago, and that I went to the cemetery, Dennis, and you look at the age at which people die. Um. You know, there were some people who died when they were young, but most of the people were dying like in their late nineties, early hundreds, but right. it, it is a, it is a, um, a society where people are very active. They sleep, they eat together They're And, you know, they're just, they live better word. They just live normally. Um, yes. and I think that yes. what we have done is we've sort of in our effort to industrialize and you fish make everything efficient we've gotten away from that and um
1: maximize families exactly That's right. yeah, yeah. Become small nuclear and they can't cope because yeah. you know there there just aren't sufficient people around yeah um, because the other relatives will be absolutely continents away yes it is a a, a sad situation I I go very often to a small village in the southern part of France, which is why I know France uh, very well. I, I speak fluent French too. And I, when I first um, went there, the family, the local family next to my little house, had five generations all living in the same house. There was... I'll call it giving his name, Monsieur Perruchot. He had his grandmother still living there and his mother still living there. He and his wife were still alive. They had two children, and very often they and their children would be <laughs> in the house. Uh, actually, I now own that house because eventually, as people passed away, it was put up for sale and I acquired it. So, uh, unified. Uh, that particular bit of the village, Um, and I went into the bedrooms of that house. There are only two. There's a loft, and I found a few old beds in the loft. Where on earth did they all sleep? How did they manage? This is a family of about 10 people, often all sleeping together. Well, that's the point. That's what they did. Medieval societies were very much like that. And the point I'm coming to now, go back to the point about the grandmother of Monsieur Peruchot. She was cared for within that family right to the point where she died. There was no question of sending her to an old people's home. Now, that isn't always possible. And I'm not saying people have got to do that. That's uh, very unfair. There are certain situations where it's just impossible. And of course, there will be old people's homes in that part of France, too. But there was a different culture which was very noticeable, particularly in the agricultural societies um, of that part of France, a very agricultural part of France. And the idea that an extended family would look after everybody involved somehow or another was uh, was important to them. And we have, I think, in our modern industrialised societies, lost quite a bit of that sense of togetherness. And remember the mantra from that uh, Korean monk, nobody can be happy alone.
0: I think where we're going to leave this today is yes, the idea okay. of if you want to live long and healthy, live well.
1: Indeed, indeed. <laughs> and find the ways of doing so. Yeah. And a little bit of research on the internet or with organizations that um, help people to acquire such information will do you a lot of good. It doesn't take a lot. It's not very expensive. And there are many things you can do that help yourself.
0: Dennis, thank you. Um, we're going to end the podcast. I want to say goodbye and I want you to stay on. I have a question for you.
1: Bye, that's okay.
0: Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Thank you all for listening to the show today. We're going to get to try this in just a moment. The thing that I wanted to ask Dennis with offline was I had a I have this circulation issue in my toe And I thought maybe he could shed some light on it. And we had a, I don't know, probably a 45-minute discussion about my toe, (laughs) which is probably not something that would interest any of you. So um, just to let you know, it hasn't quite been resolved, um, but we're working on it. We're going to get to try this in just a second. And remember, try this is just this little fortune cookie thing that we do that may help you improve your life, live a little healthier, live a little longer. We're going to get to that in just a second. One of the things that Dennis was talking about was... Knowing what's going on in your inner inner health, you know checking your levels, knowing what's up, and you know he recommended you go to your GP like once a year, okay, you can do that. Um, I do inside tracker, I use their ultimate test four times a year because I don't want any surprises I don't want to get to the end of the year and see there's something gone very much awry that I haven't taken any action on. I've been using inside tracker for a couple of years it's really helped me to optimize my life it is the dashboard to my inner health. If you go to com slash Aegis, save 20% on all their products. This week on Try This, we're going to talk about something really, really simple. Balance and bare feet. So what happens when you're wearing shoes, especially soft, gushy sort of, you know, trainers running shoes, the nerves in the bottom of your feet sort of like, they sort of go to sleep. And... We need those to help us with our balance and our proprioception, our sense of where our body is in space. So this is my suggestion on Try This this week. In the morning, when you're brushing your teeth, stand barefoot on the bathroom floor and do a minute on each foot without putting the other foot down. You know, make sure there's something near you so if you need to catch your balance Um, and try that every day. Try it twice a day. You can do it in the morning. You can do it in the evening. Brush your teeth, two minutes, one minute each foot And you're going to increase your balance. Why do you want to increase your balance? you got less chance of falling down. And, you know, falling down is no good. So super easy. It's free, zero cost. You can do it twice a day. Try that this week. Thanks, everyone, for joining us on the show today. As always, you have an opportunity to, guess what? Leave us up to a five-star review. Wherever you're listening to this, you can leave a comment. You can contact me directly, david at superage.com. Happy to connect you with any of our guests or answer any questions you may have. Everyone, have a wonderful week. We're going to have an episode coming up next week. You're going to like it. Take care now.